And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, February 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris and the newest addition to the Rates and Barrels family, Chris Welsh. Welsh, how you doing? Welcome. Hey, hey, uh, claps. Yay, yay, yay. It's always very jarring. <laughs> Always very jarring any other uh, voice being around, but I'm very happy to be around both of you. Two people that I have spent, I haven't spent a lot of time with the Rates and Barrels family, but you two I have for many, many years when you've come out here for uh, the First Pitch Arizona and everything like that. So I'm very happy and excited to be here. Yeah, and of course, people are probably familiar with your podcast in this league shows, baseball and football. Uh, prospect One, your prospect show, which is the main reason we wanted to bring you on as part of the family was to talk prospects with you, to talk keeper leagues. Dynasty Leagues, you're going to be taking on a new role with The Athletic on the writing side, taking over the Dynasty rankings that Ian Kahn has managed, I believe, for the last two seasons. My sense of time is absolutely destroyed <laughs> from everything that happened in 2020 and then being in California for two years that feels like 10 years in a good way. So I have actually no idea what year it is. Uh, not sleeping well, but we're, we're working through it. And uh, we're going to you're preparing for the baby by not sleeping well. Did that really, <laughs> really well last night. Had a wheezing dog for a little while. She's fine. The reverse sneezing is a thing that my dog occasionally yes. does. It's very scary the first time it happens. The second time it happens, it still startles you, but you, you kind of calmly wait it out and go back to sleep. That's what last night was. Uh, so dogs make the weirdest sounds sometimes. But they fill our hearts with so much joy. <laughs> At least no reverse sneezing from the baby. That's the one thing you can look forward to. DJ. At least yeah, as far as I know. That would be even more terrifying somehow. So I figured we could start today as a sort of get to know the Welsh sort of question. I want to know, when we're talking about a keeper league or a dynasty league, if we're starting a league from scratch, Welsh, what would you make as the perfect keeper or dynasty league format? How many teams are in it? What are the actual Ooh. keeper rules? What's your preferred way to play long-term fantasy baseball? All right, so I actually think there's a couple answers to that. <clears throat> because, A, the original way like I started out long, many, many moons ago, probably some people not even born yet listening to this show playing, was a, a kind of like a smaller, more of a keeper format. So like 12, it was a 12 team. I'm a very big uh, head-to-head categories guy. Obviously love Roto, love everything else. But that was my first. That's my oldest up. Yeah, That's yeah, it was head-to-head categories. I still have it. 12-team head-to-head dynasty with, with, with like a separate little prospect list. Yeah, and, okay, and that's exactly... This is like <laughs> got to be the old-school thing because that was how it was. Like that original league we did when I was like 21, we did it outside of a bar when it wasn't cool, not that it still is, to draft outside <laughs> of a bar, you know what I mean? And it No, was like, I don't know what you're talking about. We're the coolest people here. <laughs> it was 12 teams, and I think we had five minor league spots at that time. And like those were back uh, in the day. I remember taking like, you know, Anthony Rizzo and Paul Goldschmidt and stuff and just, you know, reaping the benefits. So like a smaller, really fun home league, smaller keeper league, I think is beautiful. I still love that format. 
But as I've gotten older, um, I play in a lot of 16 team leagues right now. And uh, I know that's a little odd because it's still head to head categories, 15 to 16 teams. And I like 10 plus on the minor league system. I actually, and this is my favorite because I know this isn't necessarily universal. There's a lot out there that will be like 10 and then you just kind of churn out different guys. You got to get rid of some minor leaguers and you got to pull and you always have 10. I play in one that it is an open world and that you can pick up guys at every moment, but you always just accrue new minor league players. So you start, let's say the first draft, you start off at 10. The next year you draft five more, then you draft five more. So you're not stuck at 10. You might have 20 or 30 in there. As they graduate, they go on. And also we, uh, I like to give extra credit to rookies. So you wouldn't lose, you get extra um, keeper ability, if you will. So like, let's say in a dynasty, you keep 20 players for the first two years of a prospects um, come up, you would get an extra ability to keep them. So you don't just dump them off. Again, keeper and dynasty, there is like, a f it's like Baskin Robbins. There's a million different flavors. There's a million different ways to play. Oh, uh, I enjoy you know, all Hold on though. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that uh, extra keeper ability because what I've found <clears throat> in my 12 team league um, is that it's mostly, you just mostly want to sell your prospects Yeah. because it's a, tw it's only a 12 team league and uh, we have to, we have to either keep them or drop them at 150 plate appearances and it, it or 50 innings pitch and it's just not enough time to know if they're good or not that was you know? like that was literally the process of it is how yeah. cool how much fun is it you draft a guy you sit on them for a couple years you curate them they get up to the majors and then they stink and then you're done and the investment is over but then <laughs> and somebody else picks them up <laughs> they pick them up mike i mean i could i'm going to do the trophy thing mike trout mike trout stunk when he first came up um, you're stuck with this, you know, oh my gosh, I got to decide between keeping, you know, Mike Trout here back when he was a rookie or this good veteran and you screw yourself. I had a similar thing in, a, in one years and years ago. This is going to date me. I had to decide between, I think it was first year Paul Goldschmidt or Prince Fielder. And I loved Prince Fielder and Prince was Prince. And I had to make that decision. I traded Goldie off and this was like a, a low minor league. That stinks. So I tried, at least in the leagues that I do, we try to find the best way we possibly can to give a little bit extra time for the whole point of drafting these guys. So like you said, it's not like oh, 150 plate appearances, 130, whatever it is by your standards. They are not good. You dump off of them. No, you get extra keepers and you get to do it for two years. And I found that that's like a really good way to not just make them these selling assets all the time. Yeah, I find like the the biggest challenge of being a part of a long-term league, whether you're the commissioner or not, is making sure you've got a set of rules that everybody in the league understands well enough to stay competitive, regardless of the competitive cycle that they're in. So if you make a big enough dynasty league, I think of uh, the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational that James Anderson started a few years ago. Yeah. Welsh, you were in that. I was in that. You know, I don't know if you were co-managing with some. I don't think you were one of the main people in it, but it was a 20-team league. And you could tell pretty quickly for anyone who just wasn't quite on the level of knowing the optimal way to play it, they were never going to dig out of the hole. And I think that's a major problem because a keeper in dynasty leagues can be fun, but if you set something up that falls apart after two or three years, you're really disappointed because you invested a lot of time. You spent all the, all the prospect capital trying to get better for a, a longer window. And all of a sudden the league folds just because it wasn't structured in a way that made sense for the people in it. So I think the league you guys are both describing those 12 team kind of head to head categorical leagues, they get 
kind of pushed aside in our industry, but they're probably among the better ways to play long-term fantasy. I agree. I think, I mean, Roto is obviously kind of the king. So I think you could start with just like 15 team leagues. What's so funny though, I get in uh, everything I do with my show prospect one, I do prospects and I do, uh, you know, dynasty lists and stuff. And the amount of dynasty people that play in these like 20, 24, 30 team leagues blows my mind. I think that's cool. But if, you know, if I were going to be like averaging out what I want to play, that's at the bottom of the list. Like I want to play in a little bit more competitive. I mean, I know you could see that as competitive, but like I don't want to be sitting at the pool of, you know, the 800th player to try to get into my starting lineup. I like to have like a little bit more flexibility. So I think that feeds the competitive dynasty nature where 12 and 15 teams, I think that's like just that's the right speed, especially for anybody that's getting new into it, because that's a growing thing. I think you guys both see is like dynasty and keeper is growing in the fantasy baseball world, which is kind of funny because I don't necessarily know if that's the case in like all the other sports, you know, football's football. But dynasty and keeper is a growing thing for fantasy baseball. But you don't want to make it too difficult. And like you said, the RotoWire Invitational was kind of an eye opener for me. I hadn't really even at that time jumped into a lot of 20 team leagues. And we had some wild stuff happen in that as well. Different strategies, not just win now, but we saw the the famous complete tank for years and years that Tom Trudeau did. And, uh, you know, it, it opened my eyes up to, you know, how deep these can go. But you want it to be as fun and like you said as manageable as possible so people don't dip out because that's what stinks about dynasty and keeper the most is having to put in new players all the time and also you know just from a sausage making perspective on our side it makes it difficult to know uh what sort of coverage uh, you want so I, I like let this be a, a call to anyone listening that uh you know, if you guys want to uh, get in touch with us and tell us, you know, the depth of your league and like, you know, what sort of pickups you're looking at and what sort of things you want us to talk about, that'll be helpful to us to know because we can talk about, you know, complex ball guys uh, that are total shots in the dark. We're talking about, you know, an 18 year old who's got, you know, gaga stats that you don't know if you can believe it all. Uh, we can talk about some of those guys, but they're going to be irrelevant for anybody <laughs> playing a 12 team keep five minor leaguer yeah. sort of deal, you know, um, and we can do our best on our side when we are talking about guys to put context on them. You know, this is these are the leagues that we think uh, they're they're useful. And these are the leagues that uh, you just don't have to worry about the segment, I guess. <laughs> it, it is something I attempt to do. It's something I've really like tried to hone in is talk um, uh, macro. Because I think something I've noticed, and I have my hands in a lot of things over the years, and I've been doing this, you know, like you guys for quite a while, is um, a lot of places will get very singular about what they do. They'll talk about, this is the format that I play in, so we only talk head-to-head, or we only talk roto, or we only talk points. I try as best as I can to just macro talk about everything, that yes, there are guys, Ethan Salas and Felon Selston, if people are not familiar, those are the two big J-15 international signees, multi-million dollars, the next superstars in baseball. They're 16-year-old the kids. And the- yeah, Padres catcher and shortstop for the Mariners, Felon Selston, who, by the way, fascinatingly, are two 16-year-olds that are here in Arizona going to be playing and working out in minor league camp, which doesn't happen. That is not a common thing that happens mm-hmm. with these guys. Both are invited to work out. That makes them unique. But guess what? 
it doesn't make them relevant still in five keeper 12 team leagues as fun yeah. as they are <laughs> you're not going to want to hold a spot for a guy that even in best case scenario if Ethan Salas who I think is phenomenal is three years away you still don't want to hold a 16 year old in the hopes that at 19 or 20 he's going to come well, up to the majors and you know they do get they do get money uh, but the money versus the like the, the 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 domestic draft money, it's it's out of whack. So it's not you can't just be like, oh, Salas got this much money, so he would have been a a top five pick. It it you don't know that. It's it has to do with yeah. what's available that <laughs> year. It has to do with who has money, which teams have money. It has to do with their strategy. Some teams are like, I want to put all my money on one guy. The Padres basically put all their money on one guy. And other teams are like, no, we're going to this year, we're going to just buy. I think the Guardians do this where they buy like 50 guys 50 for shortstops. Uh, Make sure you remember. 50, it's always 500,000. 50 shortstops. 50,000. Yeah, 50,000 dollar bonuses. 50 shortstops. Well, you know, what's funny about that, too, is like the ranks get screwed up. Uh, you know, something uh, Baseball America, they they don't rank anymore. They just rank by money. So what the value of players because we don't know anything. We hardly know well, anything That's anymore. a little disgusting. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's... Not little... necessarily calling them out on that. I'm just like, it's a little gross when you think about well, it. Well, <laughs> actually, the inverse, because maybe I said it wrong, is they only show you the... They rank it by who got the most money. They, they don't well, even give I'm you saying, a rank. that's though. It's that, like our yeah, values... I mean, maybe. <laughs> Well, it's, not a, it's not a rank. It's just the way they sort the list. That's not that, that's it's not saying it means it. anything. Yeah. Yeah. They said they didn't want to do but that. But that's anymore. how it's going to be read, right? Like people are going to be like, okay, so the best one is Salas. That's my point. That's my point is when you start to look at the money, then people start putting the valuation on like, oh, well, this guy got $4 million. So he must be the best where this guy down here got $2 million. That's not necessarily the case. The whole international stuff is wild. And how many cheap. top end busts have there been? I, I really oh, remember wow. Robert Puasson is like, a guy that I really wanted to pick up. I think he got the second most money his year. The A's picked him up. Uh, you know, yeah. Four years later, you're like, okay. I mean, he, <laughs> that that's actually been a big point of conversation I've had over the last, um, you know, a couple episodes on Prospect One is the last two and a half to three years on the international side has been a complete disaster. It has been failure after failure after failure, and that's what people are then taking over to this new international class, and they're like, well. You know, back in the day, you would see international guys be ranked by at least fantasy prospect rankers, top 50. You know, we're, we're basing off of potential. This is fantasy. Now, no one wants to touch them. No one wants to put them inside the top 100, 150. I do think Salas and, and Selston are different. I think these guys are uniquely different than last year's class, which had Roderick Arias or Christian Vaccaro or the year down to uh, Poisson's. Uh, class, but at the same time, it's a bad taste left in our mouth. Uh, Felton Selston actually trained at Poisson's same uh, facility in the Dominican Republic and actually has a similar swing, which I don't like. I don't like the kind of <laughs> well, brought down high work leg out for Poisson's No, <laughs> it has me a little bit worried. Uh, I'm a big Ethan Salas guy, but yeah, that's a, international stuff is something we can always hit if people are into it. But even if you're not, if you're playing a 12 team in a, in a five keeper, whatever, you should know about the next big top guys. We can get into the weeds and talk about 400th prospects and stuff. But even if a guy like Ethan Salas and Felon Selston are not necessarily relative to you at this moment, think about what happened with Jackson Churio last year. Jackson Churio had no professional um, stateside experience, stayed in Arizona for extended spring training, started putting up 110 uh, mile per hour EVs during extended spring training on the backfields. And actually the, Brewers have a developmental Twitter account that they were sharing this with. I started to boost him up. Then they go, you know what? We were going to send him to rookie ball. Let's just try him at A ball. 
all of a sudden, this guy who was maybe going to go through complex level ball progressed so far that he went to double A and he's now like a top easy consensus top 10 prospect top five in fantasy i'm not saying that's going to happen to guys like selston and salas but being up on the guys that have that ability in the trajectory is a really good thing that you might be able to take advantage of in your leagues looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I think what you're getting at is dynasty rankings are incredibly hard to do well. I have never published a set of dynasty rankings, never had to do it. I've helped people with a little bit of feedback about their list. That's as much as I have done. And it gives me anxiety going through because you're comparing players who have not played in the big leagues yet to guys who've been in the big leagues and have played exceptionally well for a decade against guys that just broke in and could be the next wave of players who will play exceptionally well for a decade. And you're going across position on overall list too. So just from a simple logistics standpoint, it's very challenging. But evaluating players coming into the game with all different experience levels one of the more difficult things you can do. Uh, as we were talking about some some J2 players, I was thinking of Kevin Maitan, who is only yeah. 22 years old. He does have a birthday coming up here in a few days. He'll turn 23 on the 12th of February. But there's another blast from the recent past uh, of someone that you people know, had high expectations for because of the bonus, who unfortunately just has not materialized into, the, into a big league player. You know, it's funny about him is, uh, I mean, famously, if you've ever paid attention, you know the whole deal and, you know, the ownership. The GM got messed over for all the stuff they did with Kevin Maiton, and he was ranked as a top 20 guy, and people were going off a two- Taken three off of video. the Braves after John Coppola was banned yeah. for life. <laughs> uh, four guys, him, uh, Christian Betancourt, who's with the Rays now, was one of them. Oh, um, he was one of them. Yeah, he was one of them. And then I'm completely forgetting the other two. Uh, one was a shortstop. But Maiton went to the Angels, signed a contract last year, uh, I live out here in Arizona, if everybody doesn't know. So I get, you know, Cactus League spring training, and I also get all the complex stuff. My ton was rehabbing with the Angels. Uh, and I'm over at the Surprise Stadium, which I live next to. And, you know, if you've ever been there, it's a big stadium. But during complex, it's empty. There's no human being there. And it was a weird experience that I'm in there. No one's there except just a couple scouts. And, like, Kevin Maiton is there. And if you think back to the publicity that he had, he was like, he was the Jack, whatever Jackson Churio is now is what Kevin Maiton was on steroids. He was like the Jason Dominguez of that first run. And I just had this moment looking at Kevin Maiton, who's bigger, um, very nice, but he's just sitting there and there's no fanfare whatsoever. He's hitting balls into the ground. And it was such an eye-opening experience of just the prospect world, seeing him in this empty stadium rehabbing with a bunch of, you know, 18-year-old uh, first-year professional league players, and just no one is looking at a side of Kevin Maiton is there, and he's not really a prospect necessarily anymore, but 
hey, still young, never know. <laughs> it is the, the sad part of it. But, you know, I think one of the things that's really hard with dynasty rankings is also just that, um, you know, you, it's so different if you're a win now team versus a selling off team. And um, that can just really change it. I've always wondered if any dynasty rankers are <coughs> tempted to just uh, have two rankings kind of like the win now rankings and the, and the rebuilding rankings. Uh, you know, there is, there is a site that does that with fantasy basketball. If anybody uh, plays it. And I, I do think it's very helpful. Uh, I, okay. So let me say this, cause this is a good transition to what you talked about. I, I don't believe it's published yet, but my dynasty ranks are going to be the ones that are going to be up uh, here on the athletic. God help me. Um, <laughs> where's Ian? Where's Ian? God hope you guys like it uh, for what I do. Um, but one of the things <clears throat> that I put in there that I, I feel pretty adamant about, <clears throat> excuse me, is like you will get people that will look and I have a top 400 and that's what I do. It just so happens that's what you guys have done before as well. People will be like, why don't you do six? Why don't you do eight? Where's the thousand? <laughs> My philosophy on this has always been when you're drafting in a dynasty, you're going to have to pick a path and there I'm, I'm simplifying it. There's win now. There's play for the future and there's other little versions. There's like, I want to have all under 28 year old guys or, you know, I want um, to play for next year. There's different versions. But with that, you should start to alter to different lists. So I tell people, if you're a win now team, maybe follow my top 100 and then maybe move to a redraft list. Move to my redraft list if you want. If you are playing for the future completely move to my prospect list, go into the prospects and start getting those young guys. There's a, there should be a point where the road splits and you start to alter off. So I can't on a list properly tell you at 285, should you take this prospect that is two and a half years away or three years away? Or should you take this boring veteran that is kind of falling? I can't really tell people that. I do my best on the 400 to do that, but you should find ways to alter Um I, I, I'm, I think my list is actually kind of weird because I think I will have some older guys higher than, than some of the dynasty lists you'll see out there, while I'll also have some of the really younger guys and prospects higher than some others. So I'm playing both fields of it to give everybody the proper valuation of how I see it over a three-year marker. But like, listen, Justin Verlander doesn't do you much if you're playing for two or three years from now. So you probably shouldn't have him high. But if you're playing for when now you might get him in the seventies and that's a steal just because of his age and he's falling down. So I agree having like a win now and a play for the future list works, but I try to tell people like you got to start to alter. So you might have to have a dynasty list, have a prospect list, have a really good redraft list that you like, whoever's it is and start to just move into those directions. This is just kind of a short little path to show you the valuations of players, but ultimately, you know, we can't make that decision for people. I think what's really pretty fun is that because there are no public facing projection sets that look several years into the future, I realize Zips does it, but Zips doesn't do it through an auction calculator or a tool that everyone can use to have a consensus sort of opinion. You have to work on your own. You have to decide what's important to you. I think the three-year window makes a lot of sense for all the reasons we talked about earlier. Leagues don't even stick around that long. A lot can change over the course of three years. If you're looking beyond three years, when trying to figure out what direction you're going, you'll probably never choose a direction. What I think is really interesting about all this is that when prospects are coming up, you have present value grades, the 20 to 80 scale, and you get the future value grades. 
And so much is made of that future value, even though it could take a lot for a player to actually get there. Sometimes players miss. Some players get there really quickly. Like The development path for players is so radically different. But what we don't have is we don't really have this consistent ability to reassess on the same scale. I don't see people doing this publicly. Reassessing current players, present value, and then putting a future value basically of how well they'll age, right? It's the opposite of the prospect problem. It's like, do you want to be the one that puts a future 40 on Max Scherzer? And you have to quantify it somehow and say at age 44, he'll be... He'll just be a future value for He won't be good anymore, right? We don't have that. We just don't. We, we don't worry about the back half of a player's career. We obsess over the yeah. beginning, and we don't even think half as hard about what's really going to happen as a player ages. Mostly, it's things like oh, he's on the wrong side of thirty. He's not going to be very good anymore. But we're starting to see some players really break the aging curve because everything changes. Tech gets better. Yeah, information gets I, better. I, Training gets better. It is. It's tough for me because I am. I do like to have a, a numbers-based projection system, an, an auction calculator, at least something to sort of anchor where I start my my analysis from, you know, and then be like, oh, I would move them up or down based on these things that are not in the projections or based on these things that I've noticed. I don't have that anchor, and so a lot of times I will go back to my leagues, you know, and I'll know that in Devil's Rejects right now I can't sell Justin Verlander. And so in those leagues, a lot of times I've been like, you know what? Uh, fine. I'll keep Justin Verlander and I'll he'll be good. And that's great. But it's also left me holding the bag. I am holding the bag currently on Josh Donaldson. I got him for almost nothing. It wasn't a big deal, but I can't sell him for anything, you know? And so I'm just going to sit here and hold him until the very end. <laughs> you know, I am very it's a 20 stubborn. Team league with 28 keepers, and nobody else says he thinks he has value, but I think he's probably still going to be a back end, you know, CI for us. So, like, you know, he's still on the team. But uh, Tom Trudeau, we, you mentioned before, I, uh, I I admire him as a player uh, because he's very he decides his vision very uh, strongly, and then he puts a lot of effort into. Uh, executing that vision uh his name in our league is trade spam uh because you're gonna have a million trade offers from him in your in your uh, inbox at any one time um if you accept one will be the biggest question if you ever accept one that looks good that'll be the big (laughs) and it's almost it's almost never good in the end when after you do accept it and you realize damn i thought that was good and it sucked in the end (laughs) uh but uh, uh like he also did something where where acuna was coming up and he traded uh, Prime Goldschmidt. Um, he's he's traded like like three Prime players for him in the middle of their primes uh, for one prospect. And I just had I'd never seen that before. <laughs> I was like, man, you just you just put three veterans in this deal for one prospect who's like an A ball. Like, wow. He All was right. interesting too. If you look back to the RotoWire Dynasty Invitational. Because he did something that I have a hard time with that I can't suggest to people unless you're comfortable with it is completely tanking for years. Because what people have to understand, in theory, it was so cool what he did because of how the team ended up building out. But who am I to be like, hey, go throw your money. Why don't you burn your money for three years? Maybe it'll be good after that. But I would like you to burn your money for, for three years to make it good. And guess what happened? I'm always trying to be in the money, man. I don't yeah. want to just throw $50 away every year. The league folded. 
the Rotowire Invitational was gone, and he had this insane roster. He drafted oh, he never all got prospects. To, he never, he got, to never money got to do it. He got oh. he had Pete Alonso, Ronald Acuna. He had all the young guys, and then guess what? In year three, he had to start trying to trade for pitching. It wasn't working because it was a 20-team league, and we all wanted a lot more than he was willing to give up, and he never got to, like, benefit from that after three years. Oh, so it's tried bad. and true as good as it can be, but you got to have the stomach to do those type of things. And you're right. The evaluation of like, how do you start trading the older guys for younger guys is tougher. Cause I'm like you, you know, I get more stubborn. Like the amount of people I've had over the last three years message me for some reason, they play in leagues where they can't move Max Scherzer. It's always Max Scherzer for some reason. It's never Verlander. <laughs> and they're like, no one wants to give me anything. This is the best offer I can get. And I'm like, listen, I don't want Luis Urias. Luis Urias for Max Scherzer doesn't do anything here. So no, I would hold on. And you don't want to hold the bag, but there's also a point of like not letting the league be the 100% determination of something that you think is valued really high. And that's part of the dance of Dynasty and Keeper. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, I, every I, league has its different, like how prospect-huggy they are or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I think if it's if it's an industry league, then that's going to be more prospect-huggy than most home leagues. I understand some home leagues, everyone clings to prospect rankings too, but... I think when you've got a room full of people analyzing prospects, they're going to value prospects pretty heavily. Yeah, a funny the anecdotal thing actually about uh, Ian was Ian Khan was in that. And the first year I had Clayton, I think the first or second year and I had Clayton Kershaw and uh, his team, he really wanted him and he had Royce Lewis. So we all know Ian tech, Ian calls me. So Ian likes to do stuff on the phone. That's yeah, how he does. He's not going to do anything. I would like, I'm like, just text me. And he's like, ah, let's just get on the phone. I'm like, all right. So we get on the phone. And to your point, I could not get Royce Lewis. This was now five years ago, at least. I don't know, DVR, when you could tell me it was five, six years ago. Mm. I couldn't trade Clayton Kershaw 
then for Royce Lewis. And Royce Lewis still is prospect eligible at this point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the crazy has given you like 600 like, exactly. awesome innings since. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, knowing your league is another really important thing for Dynasty. Knowing the players, knowing who is going to be hugging the prospects, and knowing where you can push. You know, where can you push to get a little bit more? Um, some people are pretty, you know, like, brush it right off their back if you send them kind of a bad offer and some people if you send a bad offer they're never going to talk to you again so the the dance in dynasty leagues across the board uh it's it's uh it's an art it really is i'm just thinking back to that old rdi league so i made a trade with ian it was ian and james anderson managing that team together and yeah it was max scherzer and aaron hicks for shohei otani and dustin fowler was the second player that, that i got back as part of the deal and i'm thinking about this like this is 2019 I was playing. I was already starting to play for the future. I tried to build a win now team. Didn't win. Had to start That's looking Scherzer ahead. in his prime, right? Eh, 2019 still like he's he's been great since the trade, right? But there was that fear right. even at that time that Scherzer was he this sort of get hurt. Get, this guy's going to fall knife. off a cliff, yeah. right? Oh well, we can't give it. And, and Otani, I I think Ian really didn't want to make that trade, and I got this deal done. League folds. But you think about the last few years. Scherzer's been fine. Like for, for me to have an edge in that trade, the league has to keep going. The league still has to exist today, and it doesn't. So Ian's team got That's why immediately I better. Try to win now at the beginning of the league. And I, <laughs> yeah, it, same just, here. Yeah, it's just it's so frustrating to to not not always get to see the fruits of of the trades like that. But um, I don't know. That league was so fun because it was. I, I think it was fun because a twenty that was a twenty team mixed league. So basically, if you play in a mono league, the waiver wire looks about the same. Playing a ten team AL only NL only league looks. A, a lot like the RDI waiver wire looked, there were still useful players available. Tommy Edmond, waiver wire player that I picked up in that league. Will Smith, Dodgers catcher, waiver wire player that I picked up in that league. I love being able to find gems like that. There's something in my DNA. I like walking into an antique store in real life and finding someone else's garbage and making it my own. So I love digging through the waiver wire, finding a player that no one likes, putting that player on my roster, and having that player actually make an impact. I think there's some good antique stores in Sausalito, I think, uh, back up there. So go on over. I miss, I'm from Northern California. Everyone doesn't know, like you both are in California. I was raised in Northern California. I grew up in the Bay Area. So that's uh, back in the old, uh, back in my old stomping grounds, I think about. And I did go antiquing with my aunt a lot. So just put it out. I don't, I don't have any antiquing Sorry, you know, yeah. stories to tell. You get a whole um, library behind you. So you yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you did mention uh, EVs, uh, exit velocities. There's a great piece by Ben Clements on Fangraphs <clears throat> this week about the stickiness of, uh, of, of exit velocities, and it's, it's titled You Can't Fake Exit Velocity. And it talks about how the year-to-year uh, stickiness of exit velocity is better than any other stat we've got. And he's talking about 95th percentile exit velocity. For whatever reason, max EVs are uh, more available. Um, what, uh, what, how do you ever, how do you find, did you just ask around? Like, how do you find exit velocities for minor leaguers? Uh, I will tell you some people, it's a lot easier. There are some people out there and, and God bless them that have uh, full on connects that can get all of this information. The teams are going to share. I don't have quite as much of this. Sometimes it's locally asking, some teams, like I mentioned, have some really great, it's, it's literally called their developmental accounts and it's a Twitter account. So the Rangers, right. the Rangers, the Royals, the Brewers, 
Uh, I think the Dodgers, uh, the Rangers are probably one of the best out here. Mariners have a good one. Mariners have a fantastic one. And they will go out and they'll share a lot of video and they will share a lot of this information because they have access to it. So um, in a lot of those places, I'm looking for it. Um, you know, sometimes even just some of the other great places, that you know, baseball, you can just find that are going to be able to publish some of their information. Um, more recently, Jeff Ponce had posted something that had some really good I think it was one of their top 100 lists or whatever that had some uh, average exit velocity numbers that were on there, which I think is kind of tough to get. But it was, you know, it was a little bit eye opening when you get to start That's to look at some of the players. Noisier, though, too. Yeah, it is a little bit noisier, but like like James Wood had an average exit velocity of 92, which was one of the highest. But that was also shared with Gunnar Henderson like that. That can be relatively telling. But to your point, though, um, is noisy as it can get a guy like Kyle Manzardo who um, I think I showed you guys. I was just with last week. I was just with Cal Manzardo. Cal Manzardo had an 88 average exit velocity. And like that guy is built around big, hard hit balls. He's a big, burly first baseman who actually I shared on Prospect One. This is a bit of like sneaky breaking news. He told me that the Rays asked him to pick up a third base glove. So mm. he's going to, he doesn't think he, it's going to be materialized into a big thing. But I th found that so fascinating because that's a guy that is getting full on raid you know what i mean like one of the things ho holding him back was he's just like a first base only player and all the raised players are always playing multiple positions to think that they're comfortable enough with his um you know that athleticism that he can maybe play some other spots might make him really exciting but the point is is do i want to read everything into an average you know 88 ev for him when he's built off of big stuff no not necessarily and there are some other ones that get out there but yeah i mean i think the most valuable, one of the most valuable minor league stats that I can get outside of just not visually looking at them is any EV numbers. And it's usually done by poking around a couple connections, locally asking. Hopefully, sometimes these guys that get some of the information will share it. And then, of course, follow developmental accounts if you really care. That's a fascinating thing for extended spring training. Uh, and you'll start to get some numbers because they loved, for some reason, they love to share numbers. And I love when they do. That's what they did, like I said, with Shuria last year. There's usually a TrackMan operator in the press box. Sometimes I know you can you can chat those guys. Up. Exactly, and those guys are you know, and, and during it's it's actually a very weird experience during like extended spring training because there's nobody there. It's just like not even scouts are there anymore. There's really no fans or anything like that. So you can just like walk up and just talk to people, and they don't mm -hmm. nobody knows one way or the other. And sometimes <laughs> you can get some good information. I was just thinking about you know all the all the information we we try to gather. I know RotoWire has some hard hit information on their player pages. We're looking in every yeah. corner, but compared to the amount of data that we have publicly facing for the big league level, we're still missing a lot. And then I think the complicated part of all of this is how much does it matter when we're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds? Does it does it mean anything if your max exit velocity is relatively low at that age when you could still physically get so much stronger? Like I, I think it's to me, it's more of an open question. Yeah, you'd prefer the blistering high exit velocity to a low one. But I think it it almost seems like an opportunity in leagues right now to take advantage of people maybe putting too much stock into that information, not knowing how it tracks over a longer period of time. DVR, I got to tell you, I think that is very astute of you. And I very, <clears throat> I very much agree with what you're talking about because, you know, like power is the last tool to develop and there's so much process that goes into it. Like the, the prospect development is not like linear. Like there are so many paths to it and so much, so much now is being weighted on very specific stats in especially the ranking, the fantasy prospect ranking industry 
where it is paid off and where it's not paid off. And to your point, you can take advantage of that. Like if I see a guy that I really like and he doesn't have great hard hit numbers, I think that's a pretty valuable tool, by the way, the hit strength you can get over at Rotowire on their bad at ball data and they have bad hit strength. I'm not going to like be like, all right, you're done. That, that doesn't mean that doesn't necessarily mean anything. You see guys that um, a perfect example, someone we've been talking about forever, uh, Everson Pereira with the Yankees. He had one of the hardest hard hits in 2021 uh, as far as their metric goes this past year i believe it was down to 26 percent, and he was up into the high 30s that year before and it tanked down so does that mean i don't like him anymore no that it shouldn't um and the same thing would go for you want to talk about one of the biggest high-rising guys right now in in prospect land emmanuel rodriguez Manuel rodriguez had like a 39 to 40 percent hard hit strength last year which was tops of anybody but he only had like 190 something plate appearances because he got hurt with an elbow injury. And this is a guy that there's a lot to be excited about, but he's being valued inside like the top 50 or 75 in prospect world. He's I don't know. Red Sox. Oh, uh, white uh, twins. He's a twins outfielder. Twins outfielder. Yeah. Oh, that's he, right. And he also has some, he also has some zone contact issues. Yeah. Well, but nobody cares about that. It's all about this absurd hard hit that he put up last year. I'm not saying that he would be a sell, but to DVR's point, there's a really good opportunity right now to potentially sell off if that's not someone you believe in, because I don't know if the contact stuff is there. I'm not in love with all of the bat and everything like that. But those are the type of things you can get into that. Yeah, I, I actually do agree with you that I think is as valuable as a tool is and it, sh it should continuously um, you know, be curated that it definitely creates opportunities on both buying and selling opportunities and how high that stuff is being valued sometimes, not always. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not saying that the information's useless. I just think people put more meaning behind it than they probably should, at least in, in yeah. some instances. And, you know, we talk about this a lot with player development, right? I mean, think about guys that are drafted by various organizations that pick up velocity, right? The Guardians are amazing at finding pitchers, getting them into their system, adding two, three, four ticks sometimes on the fastball, and everything changes about that player with that one adjustment. And we're starting to see more of this with changes in bat speed and, and weighted bats and different technology on that side, it seems like we're really only scratching the surface as far as finding different ways for players to improve in all of these areas. So uh, I don't know. I just I don't want to get caught believing everything that we have is as meaningful as people want. I, it I to think be. if if I could throw in one thing that I think is making it more difficult is that there is no real public uh, data given. And I think that is... Um, like, like uh, there is like snippets, but there's no like... No, yeah. No, no full there's stuff. Board. There's no yeah. like but full everything. Have you ever done geomapping? It's like geomapping. You're just like, all right, you pick up geomapping anybody. It's like a phone app and there's some piece of treasure out in a desert and you go and find it. That's like what prospect <laughs> information is. It's like, oh, look. And then you got to like put something back in the box and walk away for pro there isn't a fan graphs. There isn't, there isn't a place where there is all this publicly sorted data that we can all easily find. It's like, you got to take the code of a game box score over here <laughs> and put great. it in here Dude. to get this data. It's crazy. It's absolutely I, crazy. I 1000% agree with you. Cause right now I've got a tweet open uh, from Eli Ben Porat. Um, and that's uh, E L I B E N P O R A T. And he has uh, batted ball data for single A. Great. He has it on a map. Send Ooh. it on over. Yeah. It says 
a selection of prospects who were under 22 for whom I have batted ball data. <laughs> okay. So just all ones under 22 and just the ones he has batted ball data was not even all of single A. So I don't know how this compares to everybody, but it is fun to see that um, Anthony Garcia has ma- mammoth power, he says. Um, Emmanuel Rodriguez is there. Jason Dominguez is maybe at this point almost underrated. Because he was the hype went too far, but he still hits the ball really hard, you know, and he may not be a center fielder, but like he's still going to be pretty exciting. Um, and Emmanuel Rodriguez is on this and they it starts a conversation about his zone contact rate and whether or not you should believe zone contact rates are off a complex ball and how much you should read into that. And how much how good is the data going in? Who's who's writing it down? Sometimes different leagues define things differently. You'll see swinging strike rates in the minor in the low minors and the high minors. Sometimes they're like, there's no way this is the same player, you know, like, are they counting fouls? Are they not counting fouls? Like, you know, there's, there's all sorts of weirdness in the, in the data. Um, but it is like uh, a finding a little nugget when you get this and you're like, Ooh, Tamar Johnson actually is, is not like a, a weak stick. The no. reason, the reason that, um, the reason that I still think it matters. And I think that I can't get all the way and be like, Oh, don't worry about it. Is Abraham Toro. And now on this podcast, we did a little bit more uh, sort of scouting scouting the stats. And I'm I'm excited to have you on to kind of bring a little bit different perspective because um, we would just basically do different queries. Uh, And and I think there's, you know, people denigrate that, but like there are people in front offices that are, that just do this. Like Carson Sestouli used to do this for fan graphs and now he does it for the blue Jays. So like, this is a, this is a skill that, that people, that people have, which is like finding interesting players just through numbers. Yeah. And we you always know, and- loved Abraham Toro because he did everything well. He like didn't strike out. He walked, he didn't hit grounders. Like it seemed like everything was great. What we didn't have for Abraham Toro was his batted ball stats. We didn't know how he was getting to the 180 ISO. And I say 180 because I think that's the perfect number. 180 ISO, you have no idea how much power that guy has. You have no idea. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah, this like could a- be all be legs. It could all be legs. It could be errors. Yeah. It could be home. Like, you don't know what that guy is. And Abraham Toro always had, like, the 180 ISO. Now it turns out Abraham Toro is, like, a, a noodle, you know? Like, he cannot hit the ball hard. Well, And, just, like, everything that has come since is like, oh, yeah, that dude can't hit the ball hard. Like Dynasty uh, with prospect stuff, I just don't – I think there are so many people that want there to be one thing. It, this is how it's done. But there's not like I believe that this the newfound like data driven prospect stuff that is kind of really taking over. There's a lot uh, more data driven people. That's very valuable. Um, I think people that stat uh, scout stat lines, it's very valuable. I think people that see guys every single day, it's very valuable. But all of those tools together, I think, make it key. So for me, it's not just about you look at this one thing, you, you scout the stat line and this tells you everything. No, not necessarily. I've been in person watching complex level guys uh, for seven, eight years now out here. I just have a different perspective on it. I I think I have a decent evaluation of a perspective of in-person baseball that I then take to whatever else I can get. If I can look at stats, I can go to fan graphs like you guys. I can get some batted ball data. Sometimes I can talk to people. Sometimes prospects tell me things about other people. Corbin Carroll has told me stuff about guys multiple times and 
I take all of this stuff. I don't have one single method. I take all of this stuff and I curate it back to everybody as best as I possibly can. At the end Gavin, of the day, ask you, you got to like it or you got to not, and, but you got to follow all the different tools. I gotta, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit to give you a chance to think about it. Okay. <laughs> this, is off the, this is off the rundown. Uh, who, who, who are like just one or two players that you like that may not have the greatest stats right now? Like, so somebody you like better than the stats. Um, and I just, you okay. bring out Jordan, Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler. And uh, I, I have them in the same um, head because not the same, not only the same organization, same shoulder surgery. I think they both had shoulder surgery. Labrum, labrum shoulders. Oh my God. Three in the same org. That's yeah. weird. Yeah, it is, it is um, super weird. It's really super weird. Uh, and then reading all the stuff about Tatis's shoulder surgery and being like, whoa, are our ceilings for Corbin Carroll and Jordan Lawler uh, different? And and that, that that doesn't mean that they're a do not touch for me because uh, this year, this this week, I did I did two things with Jordan Lawler at the same time. I sold him for Lance McCullers and Sir Anthony Dominguez uh, in an auto league just because I wanted I needed pitching. Uh, and I have Ellie De La Cruz and Noel and Marte. So I was like, okay, you were Lawler, kind of I think. Yeah, I'm going to trade Lawler here. But I also bought Jordan Lawler in a draft and hold because they need a shortstop and they don't have a shortstop right now. And he's pretty close. So, you know, there's always a different use case. But I'm not, and I'm like, do not, I'm not a do not touch on these guys. But it did uh, ring a bell for me. I'm like, wow, these guys had shoulder surgery. It may not yeah, did, I don't know if you saw the tweet thread too from Devin Mesoraco, uh former with the Reds and a bunch of other teams, I think. He uh, he actually followed up on, I believe it was a Fangraphs article that had it, and he followed up saying he had this surgery and he was never the same. And he acknowledged his was more um, long, it was over like a six or seven year period of time, unlike Tatis, which was one violent act one or two years but yeah. he never was able to fully oh, recover his was like, like fraying you yeah know, it was like, fraying yeah, over time and yeah, and that yeah. was the and he never could swing right again he never felt that same ability for extension and he said that's my concern with tatis though it was different that's in the back of my head too with some of these guys especially with all these diamondback guys corman carroll i'm like the ultimate defender of though this you know you want to talk about iso guys had 200 iso at every single level of professional baseball except for complex ball when he was 18 years old out here in arizona every other level He's pushed 200 plus ISO and he had like 28 homers last year. I'm just a big defender right. of regardless of his size or whatnot. Um, the question you asked me, a couple guys that I like that maybe don't have this. Tamar Johnson is actually one of those that you mentioned. Um, I'm very high on Tamar Johnson. Uh, contact is there. The powers. I actually won a home run derby, won one of those high school home run derbies, I think two years ago um, at the all-star game and beat out. Elijah Green and I think Drew Jones was there. I mean, this this is a real big 60 plus power guy and his numbers don't show up very well because he struggled at complex when he started up, but then he ended up hitting right around 300 when he went to a ball and uh, battle ball numbers were better and he wasn't striking out. Like I think Tamar Johnson is super sneaky. Um, Harry Ford is another one of those that um, I don't know. I wouldn't say his stat line doesn't necessarily like add up uh, 11 homers, 23 stolen bases. He's a catcher this past year. But one of the things that uh, during the AFL, he was hanging around doing camps. Well, here's one of the reasons why I really like him. First off, he's got incredible bat speed. Uh, he's a really good athlete that can play off the position. He makes really solid contact overall. 
Uh, his first year, he just didn't show off very well in complex. He had a couple homers, hit 291. But in uh, A-ball all year, he hit 274. He got big. And no one knows this yet because from the season on, I saw him walking around Peoria Sports Complex and the dude is jacked. He's put on at least 15 pounds of muscle and he looks like a completely different human being from complex to this year. I mean, I'm talking complete, like he was like a buck 70 skinny guy. He is jacked and ready to put up 20 plus home run power with really, really big bat speed. And I think he's a guy that can play off the position. Uh, that's another one. George Valera is another one. I don't have any good stat lines to um, to underline for you because I think a lot of things works outside of his favor. Uh, I've just been around him for many, many years. He's got insane bat speed. He's got plate coverage across the board, kind of hits like Robinson Cano. Um, he's running a little bit less, but he's a major leaguer for sure. Uh, that's one I have so no So you're not so thing. worried about the strikeout rates? On I am worried about the strikeout rate, but he's so undervalued, I think, in fantasy now. He is kind of taking the opposite turn because worried people are worried about uh, some of the contact rate and they're worried about really the strikeouts. That Almost like that Jason thing where it's like post-hype, it, but still a prospect. <laughs> I think he's post-hype sleeper prospect. Those exist. Those 100% exist. And he's one of those guys because he's got a really good opportunity to make the majors this year. The only concern is I believe he just had a Hammett surgery. Uh, and that's the second one he's had. And he had that when uh, yeah, I was actually he, talking with him in complex ball when he was um, in his uh, ACL year. And he had that Hammett injury. To have that again to zap the power, that one does have me concerned a little bit. I just have a funny story real quick. Uh, Pablo Sandoval, I was asking people about Hamate stuff, and he had he had the Hamate surgery at one point. Uh, and I said to Pablo, I said, you you, you had the Hamate surgery. Are you worried about it? And he goes, no, no more Hamates. <laughs> <laughs> they take them out. One of the procedures is to have them removed. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> no, I don't oh. worry about them anymore. That's an what I have seen like uh, through the research is it does create pain uh, in the rehab process and and. And uh, what we saw with like Olsen was when he was coming back from it was it was it just hurt. Um, uh, but um, deeper studies, the, the first round of studies said it, 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 it hurt your power. Uh, the deeper studies I've seen since suggest that it doesn't hurt your power. Um, and I think it's I think if there is anything in between those is like maybe it hurts your power at the very beginning when it still hurts. But at some point it stops hurting. Yeah, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, it's not a it's not like a bone that has a lot of function. You know, it's a, a little bit like having your appendix out. I was about to say, it's like the gallbladder of bones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Long-term outcomes seem to be pretty good. To it. Yeah. But, but get that man an ax bat, you know, those, that <laughs> part of what the ax bats were created was to, to, to deal with handmade injuries. As is often the case on Rates and Barrels, we make a show sheet and we use about 10% of that show sheet, which means the next show sheet has already been started. And that works out really well because by then, the dynasty rankings <laughs> that we're baby. talking about, I might have a kid. The dynasty rankings we're talking about should be available on The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, get a subscription, $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. Give us some follows on Twitter. Welsh is at is it the Welsh on Twitter. Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We get a new email account, so you can start dropping us questions at ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. A little easier to share that account with multiple hosts, so that's the reason for the switch. If you send also, it to the old us, one, we'll yeah, still get it. Tell us about coverage. Tell us, tell us how deep you want us to go. Tell us, uh, 
tell us the types of, uh, of decisions you're making so that we can kind of get an eye into what our listenership is going to be like. Yeah, and it's, it's about keeper leagues and dynasty leagues and long-term fantasy, but it's also about player analysis, player development, all the things you might care about if you're one of our listeners who doesn't play any fantasy baseball. We still want to answer those types of questions on this show as well. So that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.